me straight in the eyes and doesn't blink. My honest response is typical, reciprocal, a head nod, two raised brows, and a you too, fam. Leave my lips as effortlessly as breath. Welcome to a new custom. Because we are accustomed to being accosted, we speak protection prayers over kin as we part. Pull one another in by the palm and cover them in hymns while embracing heart to heart. It looks mega hip-hop, I'm sure, but this is heritage. An inherited hatred that we are actively shielding ourselves from. One can only wonder if the parting prayer before a sit-in was also be safe. Or a march in Bull Connor's Bama, be safe, has resurfaced as a cultural, spiritual, for folks that thought they had nothing to sing about, let alone pray for. And every time one of my people put that storm on me, I pause. Never been the type to walk light after the sermon is over, too enthralled with the message. I picture our ritual. Palm. Shake. Grip. Pull. Release. Pat on the back, kid. We shake up to get grounded in the ground of another's flesh. A fresh reset from whenever we have just previously stepped from. My brother's chest will always be home. Confessional, stylish, and safe space to rejoice in. I come home religiously, especially since they have taken to shooting up churches. I see the sameness that no other body but this body provides. Asylum and solidarity in the way we say it all without speaking. Head nods, daps, black power fists, all forms of I love you coded in black speak because they have been known to kill what we love in front of us. We dare not make our love too obvious. Must give it muscle and pain, movement and contact, violence, make a sport of it. We are targets already, can't afford to let them see us vulnerable too, so play action, be safe, we'll do a contemporary I love you, an ancestral ask to some god somewhere to return this one. Please be safe and spoken and water the garden of black and brown boys with roots for feet, perpetually growing adjacent, a plot of black and brown girls with box braid and luscious locks beaming beneath the sun. This is where the taking continue, where Tamir gets to be 12 and play in the park, where Philando gets to serve, where blackness is beautiful, and we come to forgive the trees for being forced to wear us like ornaments and gather at the base of their trunks to garner our breath, where borders are breached and broken and obsolete. These are the gods of our protection, this field of ancestors whose prayers were interrupted by a corrupt system. They stay listening for the percussive nature of departure, the sound of love slapping skin like Jim Bam to home players, followed by the softest call, then to walk with us, as us, black, brown, and deeply loved by someone who simply wants to see us alive and safe. Wow. You're tuning into Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers have in their stable. We wanted to open up with some powerful, powerful words of brave we got a lot of familia in town. We got a few folks in the studio. There's the California. Califas in the house. Minnesota in the house. <laughs> and that was our new friend, Tish Jones, lighting it up for us. This is our bonus karma and thrilling us so that we can all get through this. We got a lot of explaining to do. Hey, this is Tony Asleep Typically, you tune in to 90.1 FM KPFT directly. Right now, we are experiencing yet one more barbaric example of Texas justice. We have Execution Watch. We've teamed up with them, and we have deferred the FM frequency to them as they walk through someone's last walk uh, right here a few miles away. Up in Sam Houston, someone is about to be executed. Execution Watch has been keeping us informed of that, and many of the different shows work with them so that we can get the word out. And of course, 
I need you to know if I sound a little off or a little over the top or a little back, you know, to the key, to the my shoulder, we got the veteran, the OGs convening as they describe what's going on. And in this room, we're holding it down because we committed to serving our community, serving our voices. We said we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We, we set the agenda, so we are going to be true to our voices because that's the only thing that gets us through. So trying to describe the context, of course, got a shout out to the future. Maybe this is five years from now, ten years from now. You may be listening to the audio archives. University of Houston keeps the digital archives of Nuestra Palabra. I'm glad they figured out that our familia was visiting from all over the country today when they study later. And at some point, maybe some graduate students will type up some of the transcript because the hard copies of what we do are kept at the Houston Public Library Hispanic Collection. And I know for a fact that we're going to touch someone's heart and mind today, tomorrow, and in the future. So we're making up for all the voices that have been buried. But hey, we got a show to do because today in the studio, we have live folks from Brave New Voices. They are throwing down here in Houston. You better take advantage of this. This is going to be a fantastic show. And I'm going to wait So you can just imagine what it's like to be in the same room as this powerful, poetic experience goes down. Five senses won't be enough to keep up with it. We're going to be talking to some of our friends, Christy, Johnson, Limon, and also Brendan Santiago will be joining us in a little bit to talk about that. We'll also be calling one of our dear friends, Devin Peña, who's talking about the new book, Mexican Origin Foods, Food Waves and Social Movements. Yo, Alexa, did you know Menudo was radical? Man, it's, <laughs> it's like tacos and Menudo, tamada, all oh, radical and beautiful. Way radical. And delicious. <laughs> so let's talk about that powerful, powerful book. And we got to talk to him, especially about a great line that says, you're calling these folks undocumented immigrants. They are displaced farmers. <laughs> and we're about to see how that's chronicled. And, of course, got to give a shout-out to everybody in the studio. Thank you to the crew. Uh, give a shout-out. I know you're sitting differently, so you may not have access to the microphone. So Alexis got the mic for us. Say hi. Hi, Alexis from Houston, Texas here. And you've got to put together another great show. Marlene is not with us right now. She is out and about. I want to thank her for putting her stamp on the show. Of course, at the top, we always jump in with a little bit of soapbox events. We can't get to all 200 fires that are burning right now. <laughs> so so uh, we're going to focus on just a few, including the fact that the President of the United States is obviously now blackmailed by Russia. Okay, I mean... <laughs> It's like, if you have no doubts about that, uh, never mind that he's really going to be Rocky film ever. Because in, in all the Rocky films, you got Rocky fighting the Russian boxer. <laughs> now he's going to be like, I don't want to hit him anymore. <laughs> um, it really is dumbfounding to hear the uh, president talk poorly against, well, he doesn't like women anyway. So maybe that's why he was yelling that, Israel Michael from Germany and the Prime Minister of England. So maybe that's why he was uh, blasting them. Um, and, of course, he doesn't like kids, so that's why here in Texas, you guys are visiting. Texas, here, they put babies in cages. I mean, you must, I know you heard about it. It's as ugly as you think. Uh, we've actually been protesting an emancipation here in downtown Houston because they want to open one of those baby jails here. 
and the community has said no way. So there's been protests against that right now. And of course, you know, it, it's going on all over the state, but we already know that Donald Trump doesn't like uh, the wrong kids, but I mean, don't like the FBI either, and definitely doesn't like America. So either he's scared of Putin, or Putin's got something on him. And either of those paths are complicated. At the same time, there is this all-out assault on truth and communities of color. Um, you know, we've got a lot of different reports about hate speech increasing, so we can't touch on all of those specific factors because I do want to bring up the fact that our voices have been uh, subsumed by lack of funding and also by being ignored, so that's why we make the commitment to poetry and art on our show. But also, we have a new initiative as well. We are putting up a fight, and it's always the artists that are at the front line. So we are going to have an initiative called Put Houston Latino Art on the Map, Wednesday, August 29th, at City Hall in the Legacy Room. That's the first meeting of putting Houston Latino Art on the Map. We're going to demand that we get our fair share of funding, because that has not been the case. I'm not sure what it's like in, in California. Uh, I, I don't know if it's in the same boat, but... Here, Latinos and uh, African Americans and uh, all the groups are being underfunded for arts. And they've come up with this. Um, basically, it's a, it's, a pro, it's, it's a basic procedural poll tax where they say, oh, you filled the forms out wrong. Uh, they come up with all this tricks, but they've done sweetheart deals uh, in, in different parts of, of the woods. So, uh, we're making the announcement right now. That's over. So, that was over. We are demanding that we be funded at the level that we should be um, served at. And we're not going to put up with the procedural poll taxes anymore. And of course, you probably have heard this expose that here they are busting our chops as we filed these forms to get maybe $5,000, $10,000. They had a figure who was being funded by Houston First, and she was getting six figures her apartment in Los Angeles to bring film projects to Houston and she brought nothing. So I, yeah, I could go to any community center here and if they got those fixed figures, the four-year funding would have been reached. And instead, they flushed that money on the toilet and they're busting out chops and putting nonprofit groups against each other before the limited amount of pie. I bring it up because to me it's all related in that we have an oppressive system that's trying to silence us by distracting us and also keeping us busy at on their agenda, no, basta. We artists, we want to have to stick together, we have to inspire each other, and only art can save us, so we've got to revitalize the artist. So again, you may think it's far removed, it is not, and we've been doing this work for 20 years, we, we will not tolerate it becoming harder to support artists, that's why, I know I sound bad, <laughs> but we're going to leave through though, we're going to leave through, because we got Familia in the home, right? <laughs> We'll be calling some great folks, and Houston is going to be magic this, this weekend. As you know, our Hunter from all over join us and thrill us. So we're going to leave you lit. We, we're going to we're going to set the tone so you know we're playing, but we're also going to get you there. We're going to give you the wings, give you the inspiration, and also let you know it may not seem like we're on the agenda. No, we're on the agenda. We're on the generation agenda. We're going to win. We are going to win. So on that note, I think I think we have the problem to let the hey, let the uh, we're gonna go to the uh, poetry. Uh, we're doing musical breaks or cut the musical breaks. 
I'm cool with just getting right to the point. You know? <laughs> um, dang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you still didn't tell by me. So let's do this. We'll go around and have the, uh, our guests introduce themselves. We'll tell them we're here, and then I'd be happy if we chat a little bit. You guys have written a bunch of poems. If you guys are done with that. I love it. Well, let's do this. How about this? So we, we've cut out the music, so we have more time to talk. Uh, why don't you come up here, Brandon? And we're going to introduce Brandon Santiago. Hey, thanks a lot. Tell us about yourself. Hey, peace, brother. Uh, born and raised in San Francisco, Boricua from both sides. Just excited to be here. This is my 14th annual Brandon Wonderful. Wow. The festival itself has been around for 21 years. It is the largest international youth poetry slam festival there is. In the known universe. Exactly. And so we have uh, these 500 amazing, powerful, passionate young people coming from all over the world, quite literally, and sharing their stories, speaking truth to power, and like you said, really getting on the agenda. I you know. It. And one thing we talk about, you know, you mentioned Trump and inspiration. Obviously, he's inspired by oppressive regimes, white supremacist agendas. Um, we're inspired by young people sharing their truth. I love that. And so for us, this is what this is what we do, and, and we have the honor and the privilege, myself, Tish, and Christy, of creating this space where young people feel it. We don't do anything beyond create this space, and these young people share their story and really create transformation every single time they hit the mic. So it's exciting. It's in Houston for the first time. I'm so excited for this. So in the first tw- 21 years, first time in Houston. 21 years, first time in the state of Texas. Oh, all right, I'm, I'm glad we got you first. Now, now we got to make sure that Texas and Houston are treating you right. So, obviously, you guys have a machine anyway. Yeah. But now that Houston, uh, who's funding, which Houston funders are coming to specifically? If you can think of them. Yeah, no. And, and any, any barriers that we got to fix when... Well, I'll say what Houston has been treating us more than uh, the hospitality and the camaraderie and obviously the like-mindedness from folks who are doing this work in Houston have not only been treating us but teaching us. Not so it. we've learned so much from this city. Um, and i got to also send my condolences. I am a Warriors fan. And I don't want to go there, man, but I just want to say that. So everybody's everybody's minus. Minus. Everybody's I won't try to happen to any other city because Houston is so amazing, vibrant, and diverse. And so, yeah, they've been, we've been learning. I think we have a lot of I think you just can't even for the dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Supporting us, please. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. So we've got a long list of really good partners. I uh, want to definitely shout out the University of Houston Center for Arts and Social Engagement. Right, cool. Specifically, the College of the Arts, Houston Public Libraries, Rowhouses, oh, the Mayor's Office of Small Business, oh, and the Office of Cultural Affairs. Oh, we got nobody to protest. All right, let me hear. But a special shout out to the City of Houston uh, for supporting Life at Liberty, which is a bus tour that's happening on Saturday, as well as a celebration of the third ward through the Visit My Neighborhood program. Thank you to the city of Houston, Texas for all of the support and love you're giving Brett New Voices. Oh, okay, that's okay. Houston came through. That's good. That's good. I, I tell you what, we blast them when they do wrong and we praise them when they do right. So I'm on the Mayor's Hispanic Advisory Committee. I'm going to tell them, I'm giving props to say, hey, good job and that you guys enjoy coming. That's fantastic. Now we got to fill the house. Now we got to fill the house. Beyond. Beyond. <laughs> people like pouring out the doors. This is Christy Johnston-Limon. I'm the Executive Director of Youth Speaks, and I've had the honor of working with Brandon and Tish and all the young people that are about to come out um, for the last six months. 
Um, so you've been around for 22 years. Wow. Really, really started. Thank you so much. And it's crazy that it's the first time that we're in Houston. But really starting with this idea that, you know, it's that first sound that young people make when they discover who they are through the power of poetry and spoken word. And so that's what we're here to promote. And in particular, talk about filling the house. We have our Grand Slam finals for our Poetry Slam on Saturday, the 21st, at the Arena Theater in Houston. Um, so, yeah, we'd really love to invite folks who are listening to come out, tell your friends. It's an amazing experience that I'm about to have for the first time, actually. So I'm really happy that we're doing that in Houston. Saturday night. Saturday night, the 21st, yes. The big, the big finals. Nationwide. Yeah. 7 o'clock, people can get tickets at youthspeaks.org. Uh, but I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the content of the festival. Definitely wanted to invite your listeners to come out and really see what it looks like when youth voices take to the stage. You know, really talking the, about all the things that are happening in our community. And, and the participants are from all, literally all over the country. 50 teams. They're from all over the world. We have a couple of international teams, Toronto, uh, Trinidad, and Tobago. And then we have all the major cities represented as well. What Canada now? Didn't Trump say they were a military threat to us, though? So. <laughs> 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 Spoken word threat. <laughs> mass instruction. Weapons of mass instruction. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, how about we do a poem and then you tell us, and then, oh, no, you, no, you call it, John. You call it, John. Uh, I just want to, so Tish Jones again, festival director, uh, co-festival director with Brandon Santiago. I also want to just let y'all know you can come right away. We kick this festival off tomorrow, and opening ceremony starts at 7 p.m. at the Cullen Performance Hall at the University of Houston, Texas. It's free. Come by, see what the festival is about, meet folks, network, hear a uh, first round of poetry. Colin Ice is an international competition that we're putting on tomorrow night. Again, that's free. Come by, join in the festivities, and really start to hear what this week is going to sound like. There are other opportunities to plug into the festival. You can learn more about that when you come tomorrow or when you visit the website, bravenewvoices.org. Fantastic. That, that is exciting. And I really hope people go not just for, the, for a great performance and, and the um, camaraderie, but to see what it works like. Because I love that this is your jobs. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, um, it's been an amazing journey. Myself and Titch actually grew up as participants. No, so we started as young people on the mic, and one of the core values of this organization and this work is to create pathways for these emerging leaders. I love that. And so this is actually the first year where predominantly the entire festival was being ran by alumni. That is beautiful. Yes. And I think across the country we're starting to see that shift where, you know, 25 to 30 year olds, 25 to 35 year olds are starting to take the leadership positions. And we're starting to see the shift in the narrative. And one thing we talked about is shifting the perceptions and the narratives of young people by giving them the stage to tell their own story. And so it's such a powerful moment. And I want to just say, like Tim said, the festival starts tomorrow. So get out. We have our opening ceremonies happening at the Cullen Performance Center on University of Houston campus. Come. It's a free event. You're not going to see events like this for free across the country, right. let alone uh, 500 of the most powerful young people you've ever witnessed coming on stage, coming together to share their truth and story. So really, it's a powerful event. And like I said, Tim and I started off as participants. So... This is our first year um, as festival directors, and we're just excited about the next 20 years. Yeah, what I love about that, too, though, is that that's really got to be the next step where people can use their artistic skills and cultural capital to make a living but change the world in a very practical sense. And you said it. We're saying arts as capital. 
It's no longer just extracurricular or something that we're asking young people to do on their spare time. Arts is actually the funnel or the tool, the vehicle that young people are combating literacy by, bringing the margins to the core. So we're just so excited that we're honored, really. But I got to tell you, these young folks can spit. Titch is hard. But you just learned about, like, Titch is one of the most amazing performing artists across the country. But these young people are oh, bringing you. You try to tell you, yo. You're like that sensei that's like, I'm going to show you the killer kicks. And so it's just an amazing thing. That's if you ain't there, you tripping, you slipping, homie. Well, well, how about this? I, I, I need our folks to go. But you guys better get used to Houston. Because I want our folks to go, embrace it, and become part of the part of the network hard. So we won't commit the same mistake again when we let you slide 22 years back. It's going to be a regular basis. By the way, i got to give a heads up because they're getting cardio exercise. we got to get up and down. Usually, if we just say we're by the mic. We don't make everybody you know, do gymnastics to get to the mic. So, um, uh, I tell you what, give out, give out the websites and the socials again. Give out the on every social media platform, you can find us at Brave New Voices, and the website is bravenewvoices.org. What I also want to say, too, I know that you, you mentioned the, the issues at the border, and obviously we're in the heart of it right now. And I think that the young folks that we're dealing with are dealing with social borders every single day. And so it's such it's at the heart of what young people are speaking to. And so we just want to say that we're in solidarity with the work that's been happening in Houston. And it's not just happening here. And that's the dope thing is that when you see a celebration of communities across the world. So this year we have two international teams, but we really have like 15 international partners. So we've had up to 12 international teams compete in this festival. So really it's folks across the world who are galvanizing right now, right as we speak. So it's an exciting moment. I just can't wait. I want y'all to come out. I can't express how excited I am for you to witness the power of these young people. Yeah. Sure. So, cool. uh, please excuse my broken English, but my English teacher was broke and nobody paid her enough to fix it. So I speak in pragmatic sentences and I hope that you listen. I come from those gutters that you piss in, broken beer bottles, cigarette butts, and dirty syringes, but I'm something like a phoenix because I rose from the trashes. To create a new state of mind, so let my word get inside you because they run like water, but they burn like fire. When we march, my feet be stepping, no gun in hands, I use my words as weapons. Oh, man. I see. I see. Time for one more, maybe, or because we gotta make up, make a call. Uh, we don't mean to make you guys work. We want to give it. We have to time for one more. Don't mean to put on the spot. So I actually don't do poetry, but I do want to talk a little bit about this movement that Please. we're building with these young people who Please. are coming. So we talk about the arts as a tip of the spear for social change, and we've seen every generation have their own. Cesar Chavez, the Dolores Huerta, and Martin Luther King Jr. Who is it going to be this time? I feel like really our leaders are the ones that we see right here. We are the leaders we've been waiting for. And that's really the message of this Brave New Voices Festival, is that these young people, through the power of their voices, their connections, and their lived experience, are the change that we are going to see. And so that's definitely something that um, has inspired me to lead this organization through this new 
see change where we see young people really taking to the mic, they're taking to the streets, they're at city halls, they're at DC, they're protesting, they're asking for this um, era, this Trump era that you were talking about at the top of the show, does not reflect what our communities and what society is looking like. And so I believe that what we're seeing is a sea change really being led by youth voices, and that's what we're really proud to showcase with this Brand New Voices Festival. Thank you again for inviting us out. Oh, wow. yeah. and, and I think it is powerful, too, because you hear a lot about the, um, the, in my opinion, it seems like folks that legislate for tax money for schools malign young people, say young people don't want to learn, say young people dropping out. Well, you are the counter-argument. You're like, we can't keep them away from the world. Don't you have a thousand miles for the world? Like, if, you can't, if you can't engage them in your own room, it's your fault. If you're a if you prove that they want it and they can deliver. So that's exciting stuff. That's all. Before I was born, there was movement. Paddles pushing pent-up people through oceans of pain. That explains my fear of water. When I was born, there was movement still. Lines, paths, roads, circles, and tracks. Check it. I had my first perm in elementary school. Went from coarse, curly black hair to straight, thin. Then what are you going to do with this dude? After that, I did braids, weaves, ponytails, extensions, and faux hawk, mohawk, duck tail design on the side type thing. Right now, I have lots. But before all of that, I also wore tracks. Then there was high school, St. Paul Central. Big, gray, five-floor in a basement building. Kind of looked like a prison, kind of ran like one, too. The fifth floor was for the academic acronyms like AP and IB. The fourth floor was for the quest learners, second to the best grade point average earners. The third, well, the third was whatever. The second was past, and the first was us, the theater class. How we were placed in the system, tracks, pause. My name is Tish Jones, and I've been called here to represent ancestors who sit through the palms of my little brother's hands while he plays in the sand, and they bless him. Forefathers who existed before my forefathers, and raised men to raise men, hence the sun and the raisin. Then, a generation of beautiful black women, born and bred to believe that beauty belongs to everyone but them. So they die, and they fry, and they try to fit in in many ways, allowing trains to leave tracks on their thighs, because the tracks attached to the root of her naps were chained to the middle of her back, reduced self-respect, and she is all right with that. They call her a runner, making laps on laps, known as a track star. She is right on someone else's track. Then there's a little boy whose father was sent away yesterday. Of course he's having a bad day. He's in the hallway, struggling, fighting to keep his tears to himself. And then she walks by, smart, skinny, makes failing a test seem hard. If you don't believe me, keeps her report card. Anyway, she and he were cool. They went to the same school, hung in the same crew, did things that two best friends would normally do until one day after taking that test, she got labeled advanced and he got labeled a fool. Dropped out of school, did what he felt he had to, became a star mathematician, a genius in the kitchen, studied how different greens and whites would help with his addition. A financial advisor for women, pimping and flipping, and now my man fights his tears inside of a prison. Pause. Forget it. Just play track, black boy, or football, or basketball, or just ball, black boy, rob, steal, fail, get money, get girls, and go to jail. You do the same, black girl, read Cosmo, people, vibe, and vixen. Try all your life to find the place that you fit into. You see, I represent broken histories, missing text from textbooks, kinesthetic learners that don't test good, products of society, 24 hours of good, clean sobriety, a language that I played with because mine was taken, and a country that shuns me, and I have so much stake in it, a people who are a direct result of an action taken, and a people who fear those people. So they create laws to evade and contain them inside of lines, paths, roads, circles, and tracks. My name is Tiff Jones, and I've been called here to represent the missing piece. Man, that's how we got it. Uh, hey, thank you so much. We're blessed and honored. Um, it's great to have you here in town. I can't wait to, to hang out with everybody, and only I can save us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was fantastic. Really a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much.
Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Nuestra Palabra Latino. It's having your say. And, man, you got to be crazy if you don't go to this, okay? <laughs> You're out of your mind if you don't go. And this will put you in your mind. We'll be right back after the musical break. Well, we're done. We even got more show. We'll be right back. Nuestra Palabra Latino. It's having day. We defer the 
90.1 FM frequency to them, but we will be loading this out on podcast. Also, on social media, we'll be giving away tickets to Brave New Voices this weekend. As our friends just told you, we can't give you tickets to Thursday, tomorrow, because that is free. You gotta go to that. Saturday is the big show. I'm looking forward to that. We're gonna have the finals there at the Arena Theater. We'll be posting more information on that. And of course, the basis of the show is thrilling words, but always goes back to the books. So we have on the airwaves Dr. Evan Pena will be telling us about Mexican origin foods, food waves, and social movements, decolonial perspectives. I think he's on the air. Are you there, Dr. Pena? Buenas tardes. Wow, no, that's powerful. And of course, I want to let folks know that you are the founder and president of the Insecchia Institute, a private charitable foundation dedicated to supporting the environmental and food justice movements. Since 2006, TAI has drawn from endowment income, donations, grants, and other sources to provide more than $100,000 in direct producer grants, scholarships, fellowships, and support for Sekia and other traditional indigenous farms. TAI is headquartered at a 180-acre Sekia farm within Santa Cruz Crystal Land Grant, which you just mentioned to us on traditional Caputa Uta hunting territories. Since 1999, Dr. Pena has served as Professor of American Ethnic Studies and Anthropology at the University of Washington, where he directed the PhD program in Environmental Anthropology for six years. He's a prolific writer and has published numerous peer-reviewed journal articles and book chapters. He's the author of three edited volumes and two award-winning biographs. He served as senior editor for two separate Oxford Encyclopedia projects on Latina Latinos Assembled, assembled by Suzanne Obler and Dan Gonzalez, an editor-in-chief. He's currently working on a two-volume study of Estequia farm families in Colorado and New Mexico under contract with the University of Arizona Press, Voices del Agua, Water Voices, Culture, Place, and Ecology in the Estequia Community of Colorado and New Mexico. Today we're going to talk about his new book. Thank you so much for calling in. <laughs> Bill, I, I can't imagine how long it took to all that work. <laughs> you, you really? Well, uh, it's the, the, the two-volume study that's going to come out from Arizona next year and the following year is really a 30-year project. So it, it takes a lot of years to, to pull together the farming voices, the actual farmers, the architecture farmers and families to do their own work so that we can publish it uh, in this collection. But in the, well, that was the same idea we had for this book. Um, on Mexican origin food and food waste. We've got 20 authors, seven, what is it, 15 chapters and 20 authors. Um, it's an amazing group of people, farmers, farm workers, farm worker organizers, chefs, um, a few professors thrown in for good measures. <laughs> I spent my time half a year teaching at the University of Washington. And back in 2006, they gave me a counter offer that they gave me a farming course. So every year I teach a full load, but I do it in two quarters instead of three, and then they, they let me come over here to do my farming in Colorado. So I'm very blessed to uh, have developed this relationship with people here in this community, this Azequia community, 
Um, the Communist Valley of Colorado is a very interesting location. When I wake up in the morning, I look at Kuznazini on the northern horizon. That's one of the sacred mountains of the Diné people. Changing woman uh, gave birth to the monster and the water giver on that mountain. So there's sacred land all around it. That's powerful. Now, I definitely want to get to the book. I'm going to mention the title again so that people will be able to find it. Mexican Origin Foods, Foodways and Social Movements, Decolonial Perspectives. But I, I really need to touch on two parts here that I want people to really appreciate. I'm always down with professors that are also the community. But you're the first professor that is down with the academic side, down with the community, and not a farm. So tell me, you got to explain that book. I'm a city boy. I'm, you know, I'm a city boy. And it is mind-blowing to me that, that, that you run that game. Tell us a little bit more about the farm. Like, what does that consist of? Well, the farm is organized as an Almunia. The Almunia is uh, an Arabic word, just like Azequia, and it basically means a private uh, research extension uh, farm school where uh, people gather together to do research based on indigenous knowledge, in this case here in the Upper Del Grande bioregion. And so the farm basically focuses on protecting and sharing a 35-year seed library that's focused on the three companion plants of native land race, corn, bean, and squash. We do have a few other things we collect, like uh, naturalized cava beans, which we call aba here in uh, San Luis. So we focus on the three sisters, if you will, and we also have uh, people often ask me, what do you uh, grow? And I, I'm only halfway joking when I say ecosystems and soil. <laughs> and the reason is that this land was badly abused before we came, um, by invitation of the community, the Seki uh, Institute acquired this land in 2006 by invitation of the San Luis people's city. Now, that Seki is the oldest one in Colorado, and we irrigate with that Seki and a second Seki called the Roberto Island group. And the rest of the land is really going back to wildness. And we've been doing wonderful work restoring the riparian system of the river. Uh, and all the wild medicinal plants are coming back. The, the orca, you know, the coated lovage, and the chamomile, and the yarrow, and the, uh, the, the um, uh, chompis, uh, the wild rose tips, and all this beautiful recovery of nature. And, it's beautiful to see not just us growing and protecting the heritage cuisine, seeds, and crops that our civilization has depended on for thousands and thousands of years, but also healing the land that suffered as much from the colonial wound as we do. And actually, my own specialty in the environmental food justice movement is restoring soil. Como decía mi abuelita, hacía two things. One was, uh, I asked her, what do you say seeds for? And she said, Porque la semilla es la memoria de la planta de cómo vivir bien en este lugar. She also told me, nunca olvides, sin suelo sano no hay maíz. Without healthy soil, there is no And so, um, the colonial wound means that not only has our language and our belief system, our philosophies, our land ethics been eroded by capitalism and Yankee colonialism, but uh, so too our soils have been uh, disturbed and, and hurt by the process of capitalism spreading out through its colonial endeavors across Afghanistan. And so much of the work we do focuses on trying to heal the soils using ancient indigenous knowledge. And just to give you one example, 
1552 Mexica context, known as the Latin Italiano. It's a compendium of about 271 plants uh, with about 187 drawings, very famous codex. And people kept looking at these plants because when the salvage ethnographers, uh, the, the Franciscans, came in to uh, gave this knowledge after the conquest, uh, they were interested in medicine because they, you know, they weren't as advanced in Europe uh, compared to the Aztecs. Ethnomedicine uh, was very advanced, and of course, women had their own calmecas and excuse me, learning for midwifery and uh, ethnomedicine. And so, all those plants are for. Uh, curing different kinds of illnesses or maintaining a particular kind of balance of health. Uh, but I started thinking, what if these plants are also companions to corn, bean, and squash? What if these plants mm. are good for the soil? What if they add good nutrients to the soil? And so I started doing research about 10 years ago, and I found out that all of these plants are also companions to the soil. So what's good for the human body turns out to be good for the body of the earth as well. When you mix these beautiful companion plants like Urtica, for example, Datura uh, in Austria, which of course is also hallucinogen, is a wonderful plant to have as a companion, along with yarrow and chamomile and all the others. It's a really long list of plants that we use in order to create better soil health. And the reason this is important is that, um, you know, I, the way our approach at the Almunia is uh, it's captured in a, another Nahuatl word, Tlamaltalitli which means sabiduría, but it's knowing or knowledge that's performative and participatory. Mm. It's, knowing how, it's knowing how, not knowing that. Mm. And knowing how, for us, is knowing how to connect land, food, culture, political autonomy, and environmental and community health. So often we don't talk about farm to table or local and slow food. That's not enough for us. For us, we need to talk about deep food. And I often tell people, our movement and our organization is all about deep seeds and first foods. Why? For two reasons. Our own crops are better than the modern monoculture crops, and certainly better than the GMO crops. And in fact, we are very interested in the work we do of, of describing our work as not from farm to table, but from soil to gut. It's not as glamorous sounding, but it's really more uh, holistic way of thinking about it. If I'm a monoculture farmer and I plant GMO corn, I've got to spray that corn with artificial fertilizer, and more importantly, with herbicides, glyphosate, known as Roundup. Well, it turns out independent third-party uh, risk science studies show that this herbicide kills off the mycorrhizal bacterial colonies that inhabit the root zone of the bean, corn, and squash we're trying to grow. And if that is destroying the rhizosphere, it's going to affect the health of the plant. And by that, I mean doesn't have the same nutrient density. So a land-raised native crop that's grown organically in biodynamic soil will have more nutrients, more vitamins, more phytonutrients in it than a GMO plant because of the use of the herbicide. Mm. The reason is that these, these bacterial and uh, fungal colonies, they're chelators. Uh, the chelation process is where, through an exchange of negative and positive ions, you draw all the primary nutrients out of the soil and the bacteria and fungus helps the plant absorb it into the biomass of the plant. And if you're spraying stuff, you're going to destroy those chelation agents. And in fact, glyphosate's very greedy, just like Monsanto, and it'll hold on to the nutrients and won't let them go. And that destroys the mycorrhizal bacterial colony. What that means is by the time that crop gets to your gut, 
and, and it has residue from glyphosate, it's going to do the same thing to your gut Dang. microbiome. It's going to destroy your gut microbiome. And so for me, we got to talk about decolonizing the soil to decolonize the gut. And it's not enough to go with a heritage cuisine. A lot of our factors, talk about that. The importance of our heritage cuisine as a pathway to healing. Now, I always start with the soil. Our heritage cuisine will only be as healthy as our soil. And our gut will only be as healthy as our soil. I'm not going like this. I know. No, no. Well, we've been thinking about it for the same reason I'm a city boy now and not related to the farm. And we've been separated from that, our history, our roots. We, we, we don't understand all the implications of it. And that brings us to the book. So um, I do want to ask you to explain for folks uh, the relationship between um, the farm work and the book. But also I want to throw down this quote from the book and I want folks to, to get it Many things to offer 
the typical basket of an indigenous meat-fed diet is going to include about 80 fruits and about 60 native other plants, including corn, bean, and squash, and amaranth, and a lot more. All, you know, and each one of those has dozens of varieties that are unique to each region. And so when the Mexican government is saying it's time to get off processed and fast food to eat what I call deep food and go back to the heritage cuisine, that says a lot. But I think it's also a way of taking control of our own labor. Because urban agriculture is a cooperative endeavor, and it usually involves efforts by many people to come together and form a food hub or a cooperative to produce food for themselves, their families, and their neighbors. And this is a very important way of valuing our own creative labor power, where it's now delinked, as a, you know, coloniality theory, we're always talking about delinking. And we're not only delinking our epistemology, we're delinking our labor from the, cap from the capitalist um, uh, commodity chains. And that's a really important effort that I think is catching on. There's also research coming out of the National Institute of Health that suggests that when people go back to heritage cuisine, and God, this was born out decades ago by Jerry Pongavan with the Tohono O'odham and research with Pacific Northwest Salmon uh, Civilization people. And that is, people get healthy. They stop having problems with diabetes, obesity, heart disease. Plants are our medicine, and the garden is our pharmacy. Mm -hmm. That's another exploration in many of the chapters in this book, explore how that happens. We still, still got a poet on the air. Sounds like a poet <laughs> style message, man. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, no, those words, those words are powerful. I mean, they're like teachers learning how poetry, but he's like a scholar, too. He said, uh, plants are the medicine and the garden is the pharmacy. Come on, man, that's too poetic. <laughs> <laughs> Alexis just wrote that down and paused. I love it. Hey, hey, we have about five minutes left. Um, we're talking to you about Mexican origin foods. Food ways and social movements, decolonial perspectives. A lot of the knowledge you spoke about is quantified. Uh, people can go over in the book and examine it more deeply. Let me hit you up with one more quote because I love the conversation we're having. I know that people listen, they can engage. But at the same time, we get weak because we get hungry. <laughs> so here's the other quote that really caught my eye. Uh, but this one was Feeding ourselves has long entangled us human beings. Within complicated moral puzzles. Of oh, sure. Sure, how about this? I'll try it again. Uh, try one more time. Feeding ourselves has long entangled us human beings within complicated moral puzzles of social injustice and environmental destruction. Can you connect the dots on that for us? Every single chapter addresses this problem. For example, the chapter uh, on the South on women. With a South Central Farm written by Rufina Juarez, who was one of the organizers of the South Central Farm. He makes a connection between conflict diamonds, which we've all heard about conflict diamonds, where there's exposed children and there's you know, slavery, uh, hyper exploitation of labor. And she says there's no real difference between conflict diamonds and conflict food, except that there's more of us working with conflict food, and we're doing it in the belly of the beast. So I think the whole question of how we're wrapped up historically, culturally, politically through food, not only with the kinds of um, institutions that seek to oppress and divide us, but more importantly for us, signaling a pathway out of that. Uh, I'm very interested, and I think all of our authors, Silvia uh, Patricia Solis, where she talked about remembering land and space and how our body is place, 
and how through our bodies we assert a sense of place by the very foods that we're eating that our grandmothers used to cook. All of this becomes part of how we are so intertwined with history, with culture, with our ancestors, and with the political activism that's been going on for about the last 10 to 15 years around eating a healthy diet. You know, I once wrote a poem for a little booklet of poetry that Alerista put together called Trece Elias. I have a feeling Tony remembers this mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. And Trece um, Elias, and, uh, and I wrote a poem that's a one-sentence poem that captures uh, that, that same idea. In El Valle, South Texas, in El Valle, grasshoppers eat better than farm workers. <laughs> and, and so one of the chapters, actually two of the chapters are really important. Rosalinda Guillen, who's a farm labor organizer, got his start with the UFW and now is with Community to Community Development in Bellingham, Washington. And she wrote a chapter along with another chapter by Tomas Madrigal, another labor organizer, about the Triki Muscat Berry Workers Strike in, uh, in Washington State. And uh, they've had an organizing campaign now for five years. And they have a saying, the Miskep and Triki workers have a saying, una bandera, a slogan for their organizing campaign, that I think also captures the essence of what this book is about. And they say it this way, sin tierra, sin papeles, y sin miedo. Without, without land, without papers, without fear. That's what's up. I think that really is the, the spirit of this, this book, because so many of us, are trying to grow food not on our own land. We're all displaced. All, uh, and you know, it's really interesting because uh, there's over 65 ethno-linguistic family groups in Mexico. And just Africa itself has about 60 different dialects. It's a very linguistically diverse population. They're all north of the border, too. You can listen to Capitec uh, Radio here in Washington State. You can drive across the United States and tune in to all kinds of Mesoamerican languages on radio stations. And the reason for that is that this Mesoamerican diaspora, it's post NAFTA primarily, caused by all the structural violence that was unleashed by, by NAFTA, and that seeks uh, to really subordinate the Mexican origin people to being a captive labor force to feed the rest of the uh, and that's what's up. So thank you so much, Dr. Pena, for calling in. Congratulations on the new book. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Gracias. You've been, you've been experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Having their say. Happy birthday, Joe Anthony. It's his birthday. Happy birthday. Happy belated. And we'll see you at Brave New Voices. Ciao.